you are not alone. In every heartache and heartbreak, in every stress and in every struggle, in every triumph or victory, and in every time you fall down bravely, you are not alone. As we begin to explore our passage this evening, that's the one thing I want you to hold on to. It's the lens I want us to look at this text through. Because when Jesus died, he rose again and ascended into heaven, to the right-hand side of the Father, and in return he sent us his Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And now we are not alone. We never will be. Our passage this evening refers to the Spirit as an advocate, which is quite a weighty word and one that you probably wouldn't think was instinctive to use. If I'm brutally honest with you, when I first got given this passage, I had to Google what the word meant, uh, just to clarify that I did in fact know what it means. To stand up for, to defend, to support, to plead the case of someone or something, that is what an advocate does. Different translations, different versions of the Bible have translated this in different ways. They've used words like counselor, comforter, encourager, defender. It might be helpful if one of those words resonates with you a bit more to hold on to that as we go forward this evening. But I think it's important to recognize that at the heart, the root of all of those words is the acknowledgement of a need for help. So with that in mind, as we go through this passage, I want to look at three different ways that the Spirit extends this advocacy. I want to look at how the Spirit continues, the Spirit comforts, and the Spirit reveals. I am the kind of person that likes to finish what I've started. If I start to read a book, regardless of how horrible it is, I will read it to the end. If I start watching a TV program or a film, and even if I'm really, really tired, because I probably started watching it too late, I will stay up and watch it to the end. I'm also super cool and love to crochet. Um, I counted this morning that I currently have seven different crochet projects on the go. Um, I thought it was just six, and then I remembered I started crocheting an octopus. <laughs> Don't know why, but I will finish every single one of these projects, I can assure you. However, there are some times in our lives when we start things that we can't finish. Maybe in your job, you start a project that is actually someone else's job to finish, or you maybe do shift work, so you're constantly starting things that someone else finishes, or maybe just it's something that we got really stuck on and someone else has to come in and take over. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to complete, to bring to fulfillment the work that he began during his earthly ministry. So firstly, the Spirit continues. Verse 26, going into verse 27 of our passage, Jesus says, He will testify about me, 
And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. The use of the word testify when you combine it with the word advocate kind of has a lot of legal connotations. In the context in which Jesus is speaking into, people often really struggled to get any problems or disputes that they were having into a courtroom. They were desperate to stand before a judge who would just decide which party was right. Jesus is sending us the advocate from the Father to testify for us and to witness. He will speak what's been seen of Jesus, speak the truth for us in this lawsuit, the lawsuit that pits God's people, those who believe in Jesus, against the world, those that have rejected him. As the disciples have been with Jesus from the start of his ministry, he's calling them to testify to what they have seen of him. He is calling them to speak into a world that's failed to acknowledge the truth that the work that Jesus was doing was wholly and completely the work of God. But Jesus isn't sending them to do this on their own. Theologian Simon Ponsonby puts it this way, the commands of God and the demands of human life can never be met through human effort. Only through a deep personal knowledge and ongoing confidence of the Spirit's power may we step up to the mark. As the Spirit advocates for the ministry of Jesus, he is encouraging and equipping the disciples to join in on that same ministry and continue it. If you've got your Bible open in front of you, it could be helpful to just quickly flip back to chapter 15 and verses 18 to 25, because in these verses, Jesus is detailing to the disciples that in continuing Jesus's ministry, the world is going to treat them exactly how they treated Jesus. To put it really bluntly, it's going to hate them. In verse 26 of our passage this evening, there's a bit of a, a shift, however. Jesus starts to talk about what the response to this persecution is going to be rather than solely the cause of it. But in this, Jesus is still highlighting that the disciples could even be risking their lives to follow Jesus. We still live in a world today where the church and its people in different countries are persecuted for their faith. But we here in Edinburgh this evening got to walk into this building without fearing for our lives. And that is a privilege that we cannot take for granted. But I think sometimes because we're aware of how much of a privilege this is, we actually forget what it looks like to be persecuted for our faith in our own individual contexts, the places where we're living out of our faith. I'm sure we all have some fear of risking persecution in whatever way that looks like for us. Maybe for you, it's that fear that you're gonna step out and fall down, you're gonna argue with someone or disagree with them, that you might get laughed at or they're going to think that you're really weird and strange for what you believe. For me, it's the risk of rejection. 
I think I'm terrified that I'm going to tell someone about my faith and they're just going to shut down the conversation, shut down the relationship with me, tell all their friends I'm this weird Christian and I will have no friends. But as much as fear is always the driving force behind persecution, it's the driving force in our drawing back from engaging with the world and expressing our faith. In the moments that we choose fear, we choose the side of the world, and we risk assimilating to the culture around us. And Jesus feared that the disciples would do this by renouncing their faith. They no longer had Jesus's physical presence there with them to assure them and protect them. Jesus was lovingly laying out before them all that they could and would face to prepare them. But what the early disciples and we ourselves need to remember is that wherever God is sending us to go, he's sending the Spirit with us to advocate for us. This gives us the courage to resist the temptation to water down the gospel and instead to live wholeheartedly out the way that God is calling us to live out of our faith. When the spirit of Jesus is living within us, he can act through us. The spirit advocates for Jesus to continue his ministry and keep the disciples assured of their faith in him. The spirit advocates for the disciples to help them hold on to the promise that Jesus will send the Spirit to aid them in their continuation of this ministry. Yet for Jesus to do this, first, he must be sent to the cross. In our passage, Jesus is speaking to the disciples on the night before he dies, and they are filled with grief. And this brings us to our second point, that the Spirit comforts. Verse 5 into verse 6 reads, None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. The disciples are so consumed with sadness that they've lost sight of the bigger picture. It isn't that they're no longer asking these questions because now they've got all of the answers. It's because they're so absorbed in what they're feeling right now, they wouldn't be able to understand them even if they asked the questions. This week, some of the staff here at P's and G's have been in London for the HDB Leadership Conference. It is a tough life being an intern. In one of the morning sessions, there was a really profound interview with Cardinal Tagli, who's a cardinal in the Philippines. I think in the next few weeks, a lot of these interviews and talks are going to go up online, so I would really recommend giving them a watch. In this interview, the cardinal was giving some really profound insights into the correlation between sadness and laughter and grief and joy. And when he was talking about a really difficult conversation that he'd had, um, he'd been having this conversation with Pope Francis, he quoted something that the Pope had said. Some questions don't have easy answers, but don't be afraid to cry. 
Maybe our tears cleanse our eyes and help us to see more clearly. Maybe our tears cleanse our eyes and help us to see more clearly. Most of us will know what it feels like to be living under the weight of an incredible sadness that becomes the filter that you see the whole world through. You can't see the bigger picture because if you're honest, you don't understand the picture that you're living in right now. I'm sure that we've all had these moments and I wonder if for some of you here tonight, you feel a little like the the disciples on that Thursday night. The situation or circumstance that you're in and all the emotions that are whirring around you as you're in it have consumed you. You can't see past where you are now into all that God is calling you into. Grief obscures the clarity of our vision. But that doesn't mean that we or the disciples should run away from the truth of the pain that we're feeling. But we do need to learn how to feel our way through that. The second the disciples are able to see beyond their grief, they will be encouraged. Jesus is trying to comfort them assuring them that even though he is leaving, he is sending the Spirit. This glorious unity with God that comes through the Spirit will come after the pain, the loneliness, and the mourning in Jesus' death. When I left school, I decided to stay in Edinburgh. I was 17 and had only been coming to church for about a year at that point. I probably wouldn't have called myself a Christian yet. I did believe in Jesus, good start, but the kind of stereotypical non-committal millennial in me refused to make that commitment. I think even if it was on some kind of subconscious level, deciding to stay in Edinburgh was a really great move for my faith because it meant I still had the church I was familiar with. One thing I didn't factor into the equation, however, was that even though I was staying, all of my friends were leaving. And even though this building was the same, for a while I felt really lost. It began to stir up a lot of questions in me, and one that kept coming up again and again was, were you just coming here on a Sunday night only for those people? Or was there something more? Slowly, I began to see that even though it may have been a friend that invited me here, Jesus met me here, and Jesus kept me here. He kept me here, and he used a wonderful community to help him to do that. But it took the people that I knew and loved leaving for me to appreciate the realness of my faith. In the leaving, our eyes are opened to what's left behind. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus had to leave for us to experience the fullness of all he was leaving behind. 
His leaving released the specific ministry of the Spirit to unleash the powers promised to bring the kingdom of God to the world. In his departure, these promised blessings are obtained. The Spirit will not only point people to Jesus, but actually bring them into a life-giving relationship with him. He won't just proclaim the kingdom of God, but he'll impart it and transform the lives of the people who had ignored the true claims of Jesus. One commentator says, loneliness, ignorance, fear, and being exploited are the common lot of humankind. But what Jesus promises and prefers with the God of the Spirit is one who will remain with and not abandon us, one who will instruct us and not leave us, one who will replace anxiety with peace. No wonder Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away. This is equally true for the first disciples that Jesus is speaking to, as it is for us today. Jesus has sent us this loving force to live inside of us and never leave us. To always be there to comfort and support us. It gives us the boldness to witness and testify about Jesus, even in the face of difficult situations. Secure in the knowledge that when we step out in faith, we are loved, encouraged, and held regardless of the outcome. And we're given the spirit to reveal this, to reveal this incomparable, unconditional love. So thirdly, the spirit reveals. The Spirit points people to Jesus by stirring something in their hearts and revealing in them their need to turn to Jesus. Verses 8 to 11 of our passage illustrate to do this, that to do this, the Spirit is going to prove the world wrong about what it thinks it knows of sin and righteousness and judgment. In the Spirit, it is revealed that sin is a failure to believe in Jesus. And in his death and resurrection, God revealed that he alone is truly righteous. And all judgment was laid upon Satan because he made out Jesus to be a liar. He made the people believe that Jesus was rightfully dying because he was a sinner. By redefining these words in the light of the cross, a new meaning and a new truth is revealed to enable repentance and reconciliation with God. We buy into these old, false definitions every time we fail to recognize our need for Jesus. Every time we try to do things on our own and in our own strength. Paul-Louis Metzger says, we may even admit we're broken, shipwrecked, torn asunder, but if we don't cry out for him in our confession of our brokenness, we deny him. I wonder if there's some aspect of your life where this rings true where you can't see, or perhaps you're choosing not to see, 
the fullness of who Jesus is. Maybe you think that your brokenness is too big to bring to him. So what's the point in even trying? The Spirit isn't revealing this in you right now to condemn you for failing to believe in Jesus. But it's to enable you to bring that to him. Maybe it's something you want to bring to him tonight as we take communion together. The Spirit's revealing this in you to enable you to enter deeper into the beautiful life that he has for you. The Spirit wants to draw you into the wide open arms of Jesus and let the truth of who he is begin to dwell in your hearts. As the disciples begin their ministry without Jesus present to support and guide them, the spirit of truth will guide them. He will continue to reveal the fullness of what Jesus' death and resurrection truly meant and help them understand that. The Spirit will remind them of all that Jesus said because at the time they were too overwhelmed to really grasp it all. So the Spirit will share with them the words of Jesus, all that he did when the disciples are ready at the right times and in the right moments. Jesus was calling the disciples to be God in the places of, of, of this world where God was absent. They're the presence of God in the absence of God. And he calls us here this evening to be that presence too. We live the, off the back of the ministry that the disciples began. They set before us a model of discipleship, a model of life that is expected of Christians today. The first disciples and ourselves must remember, however, that our witness to a person or to a place is in partnership with the Spirit. The Spirit's witness goes before us, and even if we think our efforts have been ineffectual, the Spirit's still there after us working, thank goodness. Holding steadfast to this knowledge whilst looking to the example laid out before us can motivate us to keep on going. The Spirit advocates for Jesus, continuing the ministry that he began on earth to enable it to come to fulfillment. The Spirit advocates for the disciples, comforting, but also equipping and encouraging them. The Spirit reveals helping them and us to live in the bigger picture by revealing to us what the fullness of Jesus' death and resurrection meant. As I've said, the early disciples have set for us a model of what our discipleship can and, and should, to some extent, look like today. But as I first read today's text, I couldn't help but wonder, well, what does that mean right here, right now? And how is the Spirit advocating for us when we're just too tired and don't think that we can walk in the footsteps of the disciples? One of the ways the word advocate is translated is the word paraclete. It comes from the Greek parakletos 
The first part of the word para means alongside, the second kaleo means called. So it's the one who is called alongside. In one commentary I read, this was translated as the one who answers a cry. Another Greek word that had been previously used to name the Holy Spirit was spiritus, and that's a word that means wind or breath. That's the spirit of inspiration that was given to the prophets. It's one of encouragement. Both spiritus and parakletos are one and the same. They're that same third person of the Trinity, but I think something of the Spirit's character is revealed depending on which word is used. Jean Vanier, who's the founder of the L'Arche Communities, really beautifully illustrates the difference. Parakletos is the Spirit caring for a weak person. Parakletos is not merely an activity, something that is to be done, but a caring relationship. On the other hand, spiritus is like a force that is given to us and incites us to move forward. When someone is weak and feels all alone and vulnerable, he or she does not necessarily need someone filled with energy, a spiritus, who can do things, but rather a parakletos. Someone who says with tenderness, I love you. I love you just as you are. There are times in our lives when we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need that power to encourage us, to equip us, because we just want to keep running full force with everything we've got into the fullness of the plans that God has for us, and we need cheering on to keep on going. But there are times I know when what I really need is the spirit of Jesus that is full to bursting with tender love to hear my cry. When we feel that we have given all that we can, we're worn out and defeated, we've tried and we've failed one too many times and we're left face down in the dirt. But he hears our cry and he sits down in the dirt beside us, meeting us in our time of need meeting us how we are, where we are, exactly as we are. However, he doesn't just meet us there to leave us there. He nurtures and he cares for us. He starts to work in us to transform and change us to equip us to stand back up again. The Spirit comes alongside us where we are and he scoops us back up. And he brings us to our feet. And with an arm around us, he looks us in the eye and says, you are not alone. I am with you in this. Are we ready to try again?